Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for September 28th, 2008. And today we're going to be continuing our study on pharmacia, sorcery, witchcraft, but we're going to be segueing into the foundation of the modern-day pharmaceutical industries. This is a this article that we're going to be uh, quoting from is uh, from Dr. Rath. He's a uh, an MD, alternative practitioner also, and he's got a article entitled "The History." of the business with disease and we're going to be citing several sources today the the information that we're going over is going to seem unbelievable to a lot of people but this is actually very easy to verify if you do the research there's a lot of documentation and verification that can be done and that's why I'm going to be using several different sources to talk about this there's going to be a little bit of overlap but we're going to be covering a lot of points that I think are pertinent in regard to this particular subject. This article starts out by saying the most powerful German economic corporate emporium in the first half of this century was a corporation known as IG Farben. IG Farben is nothing more than a cartel of the companies that are called BASF, Bayer, as in Bayer Aspirin, Hoist, H-O-E-C-H-S-T, and other German chemical and pharmaceutical companies. So that's what IG Farben is, Okay, just so you know. IG Farben was the single largest donor to the election campaign of Adolf Hitler. Now, this is a verified fact, that, and we're going to be getting into that in much more detail. One year before Hitler seized power, IG Farben donated 400,000 marks to Hitler and the Nazi party. According after Hitler's seizure of power, IG Farben was the single largest profiteer of the German conquest of the Second World War. So understand it's always about the money, and IG Farben had everything to do. They were one of the main, probably the main uh, monetary backer of Hitler okay, and of the Third Reich. 100% of all explosives and all synthetic gasoline came from the factories of IG Farben. Whenever the German army conquered another country, IG Farben followed, systematically taking over the industries of those countries. Through this close collaboration with Hitler's Wehrmacht, IG Farben participated in the plunder of Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Norway, Holland, Belgium, France, and all other countries conquered by the Nazis. The U.S. government investigation of all these factors leading to the Second World War in 1946 came to the conclusion that, now this is what the U.S. government's investigation revealed, the Second World War in 1946, it came to the conclusion that without IG Farben, the Second World War would have simply not even been possible. In regard to at least Hitler's side of it. We have we have to come to grips with the fact that it was not the psychopath Adolf Hitler or bad genes of the German people that brought the Second World War on. The economic greed by companies like Bayer, BASF, Hoist, who were IG Farben essentially, was the key factor in bringing about the Holocaust. After the First World War, all the major chemical concerns were merged into a single gigantic trust in 1926, which is IG Farben. Under the leadership of Karl Duisberg and Karl Bosch, Bosch, dye stuffs, pharmaceuticals, photographic supplies, explosives, and a myriad of other products poured forth in an ever-growing volume and variety. 
Soon after the election of, 1930, of July of 1932, in which the Nazis had doubled their vote, Heinrich Buschtiff, Buschfisch, who was the chief of IG Farben, and Heinrich Gottenow, a Farben official who was also an SA officer and personally known to Rudolf Hess and er- Ernst Röhm. Now, these are all major, major, major um, men that were in the Nazi party Okay, that I'm talking about here. All these waited upon the Führer to be, meaning Adolf Hitler, to learn whether Farben would count on governmental support for its synthetic gasoline program in the event the Nazis should attain power. Hitler readily agreed that Farben should be given the necessary support to warrant expansion of the Luna plant. This is the Luna IG Farben plant, okay, because they had different factories around Germany. After the seizure of power, Farben lost no time following up this auspicious introduction. Significantly, Farben's chosen channel was Hermann Göring's new air ministry. In a long letter to Göring, Deputy Earnhardt Milk and Karl Conch of the Farben outlined a four-year plan for the expansion of the synthetic fuel output. Thereupon, it was agreed that the Army and the Air Ministry would together sponsor what they called the Croach Project. A few months later, Farben received a formal Reich contract calling for the enlargement of the Luna plant, their their factory, so that the production there would reach 300,000 tons per year by 1937, which IG Farben sales guaranteed for 10 years. Now I'm looking here at a letter uh, that was written, IG Farben's friendship with the SS, the SS of the Nazis. This letter uh, was documenting that. It's in German. I can't read it in German, but uh, this is the 1944. One, IG Farben friendship with the SS helps to increase the speed of construction of the Auschwitz camp against the resistance of some little bureaucrats. So they had everything to do, as we're going to see, with the death camps that were, that were also made. The letter was actually from Dr. Otto Ambrose to the director of the IG Farben's Frankfurt uh, plant, who is Fritz Tiermier. Auschwitz was the largest mass extermination factory in human history. But the concentration camp was only an appendix, uh, meaning it was evidently something that wasn't really uh, huge in comparison to IG Farben itself. The main project was IG Auschwitz, a 100% subsidiary of IG Farben. Now, I'm looking at a map here of Auschwitz, which is the, the main concentration camp where they killed you know, tons and tons and tons of, of, of the Jews, and, and they also, they killed a lot of other races as well, but um, this map I'm looking at, it speaks for itself. The size of IG Auschwitz plant, which is IG Farben's main plant, was larger than all the Auschwitz concentration camps taken together, okay? So it was, looks like it was about three times larger than... Um, the actual uh, Auschwitz concentration camps, and it was very, very close to the actual uh, death camps of Auschwitz, okay? And this is an aerial map. Now, I'm going to have this whole, all this documentation in a Word document attached with this teaching. You can go up there and read this and actually pretty much follow along with what we're going to be talking about today here. The main project was IG Auschwitz, the 100% subsidiary of IG Farben, the largest industrial complex of the world for manufacturing synthetic gasoline and rubber for the conquest of Europe. 
on April 14, 1941, in Ludwig Schaven, Otto Amberst, the IG Farben board member responsible for the Auschwitz project, stated to his IG Farben board colleagues, Our new friendship with the SS is a blessing. We have determined all measures integrating the concentration camps to benefit our con- company. Now, understand something. I'm leading up to something here, okay? And it's going to take me a while to kind of, for, for, for me to get there, okay, on this particular journey. Remember, what we're looking at is the foundation and the roots of the modern day pharmaceutical industries. And the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I always am one to look at what is the foundation of a particular theory or a particular company or this or that. Because if the foundation has been corrupted, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So this is what we're trying to look at today here and, and see how this relates to our modern day uh, pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical departments of IG Farben Cartel used the victims of the concentration camps in their own way. Thousands of them died during human experiments, such as the testing of new and unknown vaccines. So in other words, IG Farben had its own stable, if you will, of of human subjects, unwilling as they were, but human subjects nonetheless that were forced to participate in all of their sick, perverted, twisted experiments for drugs and a lot of other things that they did in regard to torture and things of this nature. Okay, This is the driving force behind all of that. The company departments of the IG Farmer cartel used the victims... Okay, we just read that. I'm sorry. Uh, there was no retirement plan for the prisoners of IG Auschwitz. Okay, Those that were too weak or too sick to work were selected at the main gate of the IG Auschwitz factory and sent to the gas chambers. Even the chemical gas, Zyklon B, that was used for the annihilation of millions of people was derived from the drawing boards and the factories of the IG Farben. See, they were the ones that actually made the death gas that killed the uh, Holocaust victims. Okay? It was made there right next door. I'm looking at the map here at this gigantic factory next to the death camps at Auschwitz. I mean, not directly next, but they were within, it looks like, you know, a mile maybe? To a half mile? Scientific experiments were also done in other concentration camps. A decisive fact is that the IG employee, SS Major Dr. Heimuth Vetter, stationed in several concentration camps and participated in these experiments by order of Bayer, as in Bayer Aspirin, Leverkusen. Evidently, that was the full name back then. At the same time, as Dr. Joseph Mengele experimented in Auschwitz with the medications that were designated B-1012, B-1034, 3382, and Rutinol. These are ones that Mengele experimented with. The test preparations were not only applied to the prisoners who were ill, but also the healthy ones. These people were first infected on purpose through pills, powdered substances, (coughs) injections, or enemas. Many of the medications caused the victims to vomit or have bloody diarrhea. In most cases, the prisoners died as a result of the experiments. Okay, All of these things, and the whole motivation again, was done through the sickness of IG Farben. Okay, They were the ones that, that... conjured up all this stuff, and I mean that literally. In the Auschwitz Files correspondence, it was discovered between the camp commander and Bear Leverkusen 
It dealt with the sale of 150 female prisoners for experimental purposes with, quote, a view to planned experiments with a new sleep-inducing drug. We would appreciate it if you could place a number of prisoners at our disposal. Now, that's a quote from this this um, correspondence. This correspondence goes on to then say, quote, We confirm your response, but consider the price of 200 RM per woman to be too high. So they were asking a certain price per person, okay? And then it says, We propose to pay you no more than 170 RM per woman. If this is acceptable to you, the woman will be placed in our possession. We need some 150 women... We confirm your approval. Now, this is going back and forth. I'm, uh, then it goes on to say, We confirm your approval of the agreement. Please prepare for us the 150 women in the best health possible. So they had come to an agreement. They were going to transfer 150 women. They were going to pay what they call 170 RM. Uh, they probably standing for something mark. And then it said, goes on to say, quote, We received the order for 150 women. Despite their emaciated condition, they were considered satisfactory. We will keep you informed of all developments regarding the experiments. Now, this is a, a remember, this is a correspondence between in the Auschwitz files discovered between the camp commander of Auschwitz and then Bear, as in Bear Aspirin, Leverkusen, which basically was a uh, subsidiary of IG Farben, okay? So they needed these 150 female prisoners for experimental purposes, okay? Now here, uh, Bear, the, the uh, IG Farben, uh, Bear Leverkusen responds back to them at the very end. This is the last one. It says, the experiments were performed. All test persons died. We will contact you shortly about a new shipment. Okay, now this is, this is, this is the, um, what I'm talking about here is documented correspondence that, you know, a lot of this came out of the Nuremberg trials. We're going to talk about that too. I just think it's important for people to understand what is the foundation, what is the roots here that we're looking at of the modern-day pharmaceutical industry. And we're going to be able to tie this easily in to what we have today. Bare experimental drugs were tested on Auschwitz prisoners. One of the SS doctors at Auschwitz, Dr. Helmut Vetter, a longtime Bayer employee, was involved in testing of Bayer experimental vaccines and medicines on inmates. He was later executed for giving inmates fatal injections. He said, quote, I have thrown myself into my work wholeheartedly, he wrote to his bosses at the Bear headquarters. Then he says, quote, especially as I have the opportunity to test our new preparations, I feel like I am in paradise. End of quote. Now this is as sick as you could possibly get. But then again, if you study Nazi Germany and in the mindset that these degenerates these demon possessed to the toenail people that had that were at the very very top not not just hitler but this same spirit permeated through this ig farben was the driving monetary force behind this sick twisted machine and these people were just beyond anything that that most people could even conceive as far as being you know mentally and demonically sick this goes on to say a former Auschwitz prisoner testified, quote, there was a large ward of tuberculars on block 20. The Bayer Company sent medications in unmarked and unnamed ampules. The tuberculars were injected with this, meaning people that had tuberculosis when they say tuberculars. These unfortunate people were never killed in the gas chambers. One only had to wait for them to die, which did not take long. 150 Jewish women that had been bought from the camp 
attended by Bayer served for the experiments and the unknown hormonal preparations. So most of the time, all these people just died. Okay, Parallel to the tests by Beijing Wierke and Bayer Leverkusen, Cousin, the chemical, pharmaceutical, and serologic bacteriological department at Hoist started experimenting on Auschwitz prisoners with their new typhus fever preparation, number 3582. The first series of tests had resulted, and they were far from satisfactory. Of the 50 test persons, 15 died. The typhus fever drug results that were far from satisfactory... Uh, these, the typhus fever drug led to vomiting and exhaustion. Part of the Auschwitz concentration camp was then quarantined. The scientific value of these experiments, whether ordered by IG Farben or not, was in fact zero. And we know that they did order because we have the correspondence to prove it. The test persons were in bad physical con- condition to begin with, caused by forced labor, insufficient and wrong nutrition, and diseases within the concentration camp. And it would be like taking a whole bunch of test subjects that were already to- totally seek, sick, weakly, emaciated, and then doing tests to further stress their already depleted and devastated systems. You're not going to get a very good outcome, and the, and the results are not going to be accurate compared and based upon healthy individuals that may receive these things, in, in, in other words. In addition to this, there were generally bad sanitary circumstances in the laboratories. The test results in the concentration camps, as the IG laboratory specialists should have known, could not be compared to results made under normal circumstances. The SS physician, Dr. Hoven, testified to this during the Nuremberg trial. He said, quote, It should be generally known and generally and especially in German scientific circles, that the SS did not have notable scientists at their disposal. It is clear that the experiments in the concentration camps with the IG Farben preparations only took place in the interest of IG Farben, which strived with all means to determine the effectiveness of these preparations. They let the SS deal with the, shall I say, dirty work in the concentration camps. In other words, IG Farben was the one behind all of it, but they let the SS... Deal with all the dirty work, okay? It was not I.G. Farben's intentions to make any of this public, well, obviously not, but rather to put a smokescreen around the experiments so that they could keep any profits to themselves. Not the SS, but I.G. Farben took the initiative for the concentration camp efforts. Now, and again, they show a letter here, a real letter, from a letter in 1944, in which I.G. Farben orders a harsh punishment for a slave laborer in Auschwitz-Monowitz. Evidently, that was one of the camps. Now, if we go to the Nuremberg War Trial, uh, which was after the war, the Nuremberg War Criminal Tribunal convicted, listen to this, they convicted 24 IG Farben board members and executives on the basis of mass murder, slavery, and other crimes against humanity. Amazingly, though, by 1951, all of them, all 24 of these ones that had been convicted of mass murder, slavery, and crimes against humanity, and we just mentioned some of those, by 1951, all of them, all 24, had already been released, continue, and then they, they continued to consult with German corporations. The Nuremberg Tribunal dissolved the IG Farben into three different companies, Bayer, as in Bayer Aspirin, Hoist, and BASF. 
Now, BASF, they have done some commercials in the past. They were the ones that did the commercials. You know, we don't make the products you buy. We make the products you buy work better. I don't know if you've ever seen those commercials. In other words, they make, they don't make the, I don't, they don't make the skateboard, but they make the rubber that is used in the wheels for the skateboard. Stuff like that, okay? So, they're still around. Um, they're all still around to a certain degree. And they're much gigantic. Well, we're going to talk about that right now. Um, so today, each of the three daughters of IG Farben is 20 times bigger than IG Farben was at its height in 1944. So each of the daughters that spawned from this whore, okay, IG Farben, are now 20 times bigger than IG Farben ever was. Okay? And remember, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The last year, um, Okay, so if we go further, more importantly, for almost three decades after the Second World War, BASF, Bayer, and Hoist, which is now called Aventis, A-V-E-N-T-I-S, Hoist changed their name to Aventis, they each filled its highest positions, chairman of the board, with former members of the Nazi party. Okay, all of these companies went back in, man, 24 people from IG Farben, and they all end up, they're committed to mass murder, slavery, and other crimes, but by 1951, they'd all been released. Okay, now, how can we prove this, okay, as far as, as um, these companies filling their uh, highest positions with former members of the Nazi party? Well, Carl Wooster, who was chairman of the board of BASF, until 1974, was during the Second World War on the board of the company manufacturing the Zyklon B nerve gas that killed the people in the Holocaust. Okay, but he was he was um, chairman of the board for BASF until 1974. Carl Wooster. Here's another one. Carl Winnet Winacker. He was chairman of the board of Hoist until the late 1970s. He was a member of the Strom. Ab Tillung, or the SA, and was a member of the board of IG Farben at the time of the Second World War. Then we have Kurt Hansen, who is chairman of the board of Bear, as in Bear Aspirin, until the late 1970s. He was co-organizer of the conquest of Europe in the Department of, quote, Acquisition of Raw Materials under this leadership, the IG Farben Daughters, BASF, Bear, and Hoish, continued to support politicians representing their interests. During the 50s and 60s, they invested in the political career of a young representative from a suburb of a BASF town, Ludwig Schaven, and his name was Helmut Kohl. From 1957 to 1967, young Helmut Kohl was a paid lobbyist of the Verben Chemischer industry, the central lobbying, which was the central lobbying organization of the German pharmaceutical and chemical cartel. Thus, the German chemical and pharmaceutical industry advanced one of its own as a political representative. The result is well known. Helmut Kohl was chancellor of Germany for 16 years, and the German pharmaceutical and chemical industry became the world's leading exporter of chemical products with subsidiaries in more than 150 countries, more than IG Farben ever hoped to have at the time. Several billion people will now, die, will now die prematurely if the pharmaceutical industry gets its way. Now remember, we've talked a lot about this in the past, that the Georgia Guidestones, which are like they call the, the modern-day American Stonehenge, uh, it says on the Georgia Guidestones that they want to depopulate the world, the essentially the New World Order, 
environmentalist, tree hugger type, Illuminati, globalist elite want to depopulate the world to 500 billion, okay? Which would be about, you know, over a 90% reduction of current world population. That's their goal, okay? Now remember, Satan comes to kill, to steal, destroy, okay? Well, this is all in line with that. We're created in God's image, so what, what he wants to do is destroy humanity. There have been numerous other people within the globalist elite that have come out and, and, uh, uh Ted Turner, for instance, he was even more aggressive. He said that we need to get world population down to 250 to 350 um, million. Okay, so that would be about you know about probably 95 percent reduction plus on that. So it's well known. Maurice Strong, he's another. I mean, there's so many that have that have further stated these things, and this is one of the many ways that they have attempted to create a weak sip sickly world, and to also try to slow down um, population growth, to depopulate, if you will. Now, going back to the article, Germany is the only country in the entire world in which a former paid lobbyist for the chemical and pharmaceutical cartel was the head of a government. To sum up, the support of German politics for the global expansion plans of the German pharmaceutical and chemical companies has a hundred-year-old tradition. Now, you could make a case for that because you know, Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. both have a lot of ties to Eli Lilly and these types of things. Um, so, you, I don't know if I could be totally dogmatic about the last statement, but a lot of these people at the head of governments have ties, obviously, uh, to, to this particular industry. The U.S. lead prosecutor in the Nuremberg War Criminal Tribunal against I.G. Farben said, quote, These I.G. Farben criminals, not the lunatic Nazi fanatics are the main criminals. Okay, now that was what the that was what the main lead prosecutor from the Nuremberg War Criminal Tribunal said against I.G. Farben. Let me read that again. These I.G. Farben criminals, not the lunatic Nazi fanatics, are the main criminals. Okay, if the guilt of these criminals is not brought to light. And if they are not punished, they will represent a much greater threat to the future peace of the world than Hitler was if he were ever still alive. Now, when you see that the parent, the, the daughter companies of IG Farben have grown to 20 times the size of IG Farben, you realize how much more damage you can do when you've got, you know, a, a total of 60 times the size of the original IG Farben. Okay? Now, through a project called Project Paperclip, it's well known that what um, we did in this particular country is we brought over the Nazi scientists and a lot of the Nazi rocket scientists from Germany after the war through Project Paperclip um, under the guise, I believe, of the um, it had to do with um, masking it through um, uh, the Vatican trains and these types of things that were coming out of Germany, and we brought them over here, and they were able to continue their work um, here, okay, where we had Mengele, and there was a lot of other ones that came over here. It was all hidden, okay, but now we can look back and, and um, you know, find verification and document documentation of these things that they actually did happen. So we actually exported a lot of the same evil over to America, where it was continued here. And we're going to talk about that more a little bit later. So if we go further, just 15 years after they were convicted in the Nuremberg War 
Crimes Tribunal, Bayer, BASF, and Hoist were again the architects of the next major human rights offense. In 1962, they established the Codex Alimentarius Commission. This dark period in German history is inextricably bound to one man, Fritz T. Meer. He was a member of the managing board of IG Farben from its inception to its dissolution. As the wartime manager, he was responsible for IG Auschwitz. In the Nuremberg Tribunal, Timir stated, quote, Forced labor did not inflict any remarkable injury, pain, or suffering on the detainees, particularly since the alternatives for these workers would have been death. Okay, so I guess compared to death? Forced labor wasn't a big deal, I guess is what he was trying to say. In 1948, Tamir was sentenced by the Nuremberg Tribunal to seven years in prison for plundering and slavery. In 1952, his sentence was commuted due to the influence of his powerful friends. That's what happened with all of them. Okay, Remember, 24 of these guys convicted of basically mass murder and they're all out within a matter of time. From 1956 to 1964, Tamir was actually reinstated as a member of the managing board of Bayer AG. At the time, was what it was called, Bayer AG. And then in 1962, Tamir was one of the architects of the Codex Alimentarius Commission and one of the main designers of the schemes that would profit from human suffering. The deceptive title, Codex Alimentarius, is no accident. It was devised by the same companies and indeed the same individuals who gave Auschwitz concentration camp inmates its deceptive slogan, which was entitled, Arbeit Mach Free. And now, remember, I'm not German, so I'm sure I'm butchering everything I'm saying unbelievably, and I'm sorry. But that meant, what that saying meant was, work makes you free. As long as the Nazi infection continues to work its influence and threaten the lives of untold millions, no German has the right to proclaim that the Nazi era is finished. Now, Codex Alimentarius is the current thing that they're trying to do to take away all access to vitamins, herbs, and minerals. And what it seeks to do is propose these maximum guidelines on vitamins and minerals and things like this, in which you would, if you, uh, if, if what they say came true, and it's already come true to a large extent over in Europe, if what, uh, you, if you try to go in a health food store and these types of things, what would end up happening is, is you're only going to be able to buy a vitamin, and the vitamins are going to be synthetic, okay? And that's a whole other subject. There's a lot of subjects today that I just don't have time to go down that rabbit trail. But suffice it to say, the synthetic vitamins that are in most of the preparations today are not real vitamins and minerals. They're synthetic. They're made in a laboratory, just like a drug, okay? Almost all B vitamins that you get in the standard health food store B vitamins or wherever you might get it, at a drugstore or wherever, are synthetic B vitamins derived from coal tar, okay? Made by chemical companies. These are not the way God put them here. And when you go and get your local, for example, um, huge mega B vitamin, you're putting synthetic chemicals in your body that will ultimately have side effects just like a drug, not to the same extent, okay, but ultimately they will end up depleting your body of different things and um, you're probably going to feel maybe better right off the bat just like you would a drug, but ultimately down the road you're going to end up feeling worse, okay? And this is why I try to always stick to whole food compounds, the way God put them here. Let's just try to stick to the way God put things here. Herbs, vitamins, minerals, let's try to stick to the form he already created them in because he knew what he was doing, 
Okay, Man goes into a laboratory and thinks, well, I can do it better. I'm going to isolate this little thing out of this particular herb because I think that's the active component and therefore it'll work better. And it doesn't work better. When you remove that from its natural constituent and from its natural environment within the herb, okay, let's give you an example. Acetosalicylic acid. Okay, Where do they get that? What is that? That's aspirin. Okay, let's just take the simplest example. Acetosalicylic acid, okay, and we know that that naturally occurs in the white willow bark, okay? So we go and we take and we isolate this in the white willow bark and we say, the chemical company or the pharmaceutical company says, well, you know, this is all well and good, uh, but we can't patent this because it's an herb. It naturally occurs in nature. Therefore, we can't make tons of money. So what we're going to do is we're going to remove what we think is the active component, we're going to take the active component, synthesize it into a synthetic compound, and we're going to sell that, and that always is going to have side effects, okay, every single time. When you remove something from its natural environment, you're affecting the chemistry, you're, you're removing it from its natural environment, it will always have side effects You turn it into when you turn it, something into a drug. It has to, okay? And ultimately, what you're taking into your body is a controlled poison. Now, I don't have a problem if somebody has a headache and they take an aspirin once in a while, okay? But if you're getting headaches constantly and, you know, they're not going away and, and you're living off aspirin, you have to ask yourself the question, do I have a deficiency of aspirin in my bloodstream? Am I really fixing the problem or am I just treating the symptom? Most likely, the reason for chronic headaches many times are toxic bowel, toxic liver, your neck's out of alignment, that's a chiropractic issue, uh, your adrenals are exhausted, causing adrenal tension headaches, things like that, okay? This, these are the realms of things I specialize in in alternative medicine, but that's a whole other rabbit trail. So, the thing is, you have to look at it that way. But see, they can make a lot of money if they can patent these things, these natural substances. They do essentially the same thing with every other drug that's ever been created. They usually isolate something in nature, synthesize it, turn it into a drug, turns it into something unnatural that always has side effects, that essentially is a controlled poison. And you can prove that by taking a bottle of whatever you're taking, and it'll probably kill you. Okay. Whereas if you take a bottle of whole food vitamins or something like that, I'm talking whole food, Okay, probably the most it would do is maybe give you diarrhea, if it even did that. Okay, that's how you know, <laughs> you, you can tell the difference between the two. So it's just a little bit of, of thing. Anyway, going back to this Codex thing, Codex Alimentarius, that will seek to take away all vitamins, minerals, and put them in the classification of a uh, essentially drugs. And what it would do is if you did have access to any of these things, you would have minimal access because it would it would seek to place what they call, kind of like the RDA values that they have nowadays, the recommended daily allowance. Well, what it would end up doing is putting minimums or actually maximums of what you could buy in any particular vitamin or mineral preparation. Now, what you're going to get is going to be something synthesized synthetically in a laboratory environment. You're only going to be able to get a little bit of it and you're going to have to have it prescribed by an MD. Now, MDs are not trained in vitamin and nutrition. They may have maybe five credit hours. So now you're taking something that they have no training in whatsoever. You would literally be better asking a mechanic for advice on, for advice on nutrition than you would a medical doctor most of the time. Many times their wives know more than they do. Why? Because they're totally trained in the pharmaceutical model. That's what they know. That's what they specialize in. Okay? So, this is why you don't go to an MD and say, well, what do I do about this or that when it comes to, to a nutritional issue? Because most of the times they have no training in it. 
Okay, it's just like anything else. I mean, I'm not gonna if, if I had to have brain surgery, you know, I'm not gonna go to an auto mechanic to ask for advice about brain surgery. Okay, so it's it's a matter of what is your specialty. Okay, what is your expertise in? So this is the thing that that would happen when and if Codex Alimentarius is fully implemented. And this is a gigantic threat. And it's a gigantic. It's already taken place to a large extent already in Europe, and it's it's trying working its way over to Canada and America. And most likely at some point they will be able to implement this, and you will not have access to um, the vast majority of of the health and nutritional products that you would have access to, like, let's say, in your average health food store now. So this is something to be in mind of uh, very much. So so if we go further with the IG Farben story, before the war, in World War II, the company Standard Oil of New Jersey, controlled by the Rockefellers, had forged a synthetic oil and rubber cartel with the Nazi-controlled IG Farben. Now we're going to start linking Rockefeller with IG Farben. Now we're dealing with the very, very highest echelons of, let's say, the 13 families of the Illuminati, okay? Which are the, basically the controlling families on the planet. The head, head, head family being the Rothschilds who essentially decide the price of gold and silver every day in London. Um, they're the ones that had everything to do with, they, they were the bankers that have everything to do with loaning money to both sides of, you know, the Napoleonic Wars, okay, to Lord Balfour and Napoleon. They played both sides and they ended up coming out a winner because they were the ones, you know, the banks responsible for the money in regard to that war. This is what they always seek to do. They seek to create and foment wars because wars are probably the greatest money-making scheme ever devised. And then when you have a war, you can get away with all these atrocities to boot like IG Farben was doing because, hey, you're in war, you know? So that's, that's their excuse. So before the world, World War II, the company Standard Oil of New Jersey, controlled by the Rockefellers, had forged a synthetic oil and rubber cartel with the Nazi-controlled IG Farben, prompting official claims of treason in the United States. The New Jersey Oil Company wasn't the only U.S. corporation working with the industrial conglomerate IG Farben and the Nazis. However, as as we will as we will see, Jack Philby, who was a British spy, had ties to the entire network through his friend Alan Dulles, who was an American trader. Um, and all of this stuff that I'm reading is from different sources and references. And again, this is overlapping. We're overlapping a little bit now what we were just talking about, but we're doing it by citing different sources. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. So if we go further, after a bribery scandal didn't slow him down, Alan Dulles' brother, attorney John Foster Dulles, he, quote, became the representative of several major German companies, such as IG Farben, which owned huge blocks of stock in American oil companies, in 1934, Dulles helped draft the agreements establishing the international cartels, joint ventures, and market sharing among the Belgians, the British Imperial Chemical Industries, and IG Farben. It was agreements such as that was signed by Rockefeller-controlled Standard Oil Company of New Jersey with IG Farben that helped the Third Reich to gain such important advances in the development of synthetic rubber and gasoline. So again, here we have... We're, we're really helping both sides of the war. We, we're helping the Axis and the Allied powers with all of the things that they need, you know. And it's all hidden so that nobody really knows about this. 
But really, these companies are just helping to find, and they're, they're, they're the ones that really come out smelling like a winner. Because when it's all over, if Nazi Germany's been, you know, pretty much destroyed, and all these people, millions and millions of people have been killed, which the Illuminati would, would view all those people that were being killed as sacrifices to Satan, okay, at the top. That's how they view things. It's like, it's like a witch that owns an abortion clinic, okay? And I, I covered this in, in um, the, the teaching that I did on uh, the sacrament of abortion. It's like a witch that owns an abortion clinic. She comes out smelling like a rose because she's profiteering off the abortion clinic making money through the abortions. And she's also viewing the babies that are being slaughtered in that clinic as sacrifices to either Artemis, Moloch, Chemosh, Lilith. Pick your deity. Pick your, pick your fallen angelic deity. Okay, it's a very, very similar venture. Obviously, in that case, it's on a much smaller scale than we're talking about here, which, which we're talking about a very, very large scale. Okay, so understand a lot of agendas are being fulfilled. So, in return, IG Farben became a shareholder in the New Jersey Oil Company, um, Standard Oil of New Jersey, Rockefeller's company, and they were uh, they they were such a large shareholder that they were second to only John D Rockefeller himself in Standard Oil. Okay, this is how integrally related and linked Rockefeller was with IG Farben. In 1941, Senator Harry Truman read Standard Oil's 1939 letter to renew its agreement with IG Farben. Now this is Harry S Truman. Okay? This is when he was a senator. He said, "Quote which made it clear that the Rockefellers company was prepared to work with the Nazis, whether their own government was at war with the Third Reich or not. Truman's Senate Committee on the National Defense was outraged and began a probe. Well, I'm glad somebody was outraged. I mean, let me read this again. This letter that was, that was um, issued by Standard Oil in 1939, this was a letter to basically renew its agreement with I.G. Farben. It made it clear that the Rockefeller Company was prepared to work with the Nazis, whether their own government was at war with the Third Reich or not. Truman's Senate Committee on the National Defense was outraged and began a probe. Suddenly, however, the whole matter was dropped. There was a reason for the Rockefeller's escape. It was called blackmail. On February 22nd, 27th, I'm sorry, 1942, Thurman Arnold, the Assistant Attorney General of the United States, stormed into the offices of Standard Oil of New Jersey at 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City and outlined the charges. Arnold demanded fines totaling $1.5 million and control of the Nazi patents. In response, the Standard Oil executives made it clear that the entire U.S. war effort was fueled by their oil and it could be stopped. Arnold could do nothing but accept the fact of the blackmail. Can you imagine this? We're at war, supposedly, with Nazi Germany, and you have Standard Oil integrally related, essentially in bed with the Nazis and with IG Farben, and when they get threatened, they have the audacity to come and say, you know, (laughs) you know what, Mr. Mr. Guy in in the United in the United States, um, you know, our oil. Standard Oil is fueling this whole war effort for the Allied forces, as well as it, it as it was for the Nazis. And you know what? We could stop your side. So they were blackmailed, and that was it. Was all dropped? Everything was dropped at that point. When Britain threatened to expose the ties to I.G. Farben, the Dulles brothers went to work. 
Dahls and a colleague expressed their desire to have our British propaganda action in the United States, as far as IG Farben is concerned, discontinued. In other words, they were at one point speaking out against IG Farben, and they, um, the, these Dulls brothers, uh, basically, um, they expressed their desire to have this discontinued, this propaganda against IG Farben. It probably wasn't propaganda, it was, I'm sure it was truth at that point. I mean, they were evil. Their explanation of of this was that, in their opinion, this might involve large American companies like Standard Oil, thereby thereby perhaps impairing the war effort. Put it bluntly, Dulles was personally threatening to cut off Britain's supply of oil during the war if the British persisted with their expose of the American oil connection to IG Farben. See, that Satan always seeks to operate in darkness. Okay, always. He's like a cockroach. He likes darkness. Okay, and when you turn on the lights, the cockroaches scatter. Okay, and that's why, you know, God is, is a lot of times, um, you know, they talk about light and these types of things, and there's no darkness in him. Okay, but this movement could have only worked if it went on in darkness behind the scenes. So the British were more than a little hypocritical in pointing the finger of blame at the American connection. They had their own little Farben scandal going on themselves. Imperial Chemical Industries, or ICI, was partners with IG Farben on several deals. Alan Dulles himself had drawn up the paperwork to bring ICI and Farben into the Nazi chemical cartel. The dominating force of the Nazi-controlled Schroeder Bank was Baron Bruno Schroeder, whose headquarters were in London. As one of the bankers put it, quote, British government had a good attitude toward British banks abroad. British banks in Paris did big business during the occupation. Similarly, the Bank of England continues its association with the Nazi-dominated Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland. In fact, British financial institutions to move Nazi money all through the war when it suited their own clients' purposes. Okay, so continuing further, America's largest and most ruthless Industrial Combine, the Rockefeller Empire, which was built on Standard Oil Company in the early part of the century, became interested in the drug trade after making breathtaking profits off palming off bottled petroleum called Nujol, N-U-J-O-L, as a supposed cure for cancer and then later for constipation. The 1939 The Drug Trust was formed by an alliance of the world's two greatest cartels in world history the Rockefeller Empire, and the German chemical company, IG Farben. Drug pharmaceutical profits from that time onwards curved upwards into gigantic proportions, and by 1948, it became a $10 billion a year industry. Industry. Okay, by 1948, it was a $10 billion. Now, really, you know, if you want to, okay, we said a lot up until now. Okay, we, we, we talked a lot about last week how, you know, the root word for the pharmaceutical, pharmacy, pharmacist is pharmakia, which in the Bible is, is always translated either sorcery or witchcraft. Okay, we're looking at all the evil that, that we've looked at today. Okay, and, and, we, and we look at the thing about a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? These types of things. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. There's a lot of different verses that you could that you could look at. To have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. If it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. You know, and a lot of this may be offensive to a lot of people. But then again, Galatians four sixteen says, "Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth?" Okay, this is 
this is documented stuff here. I mean, this isn't something that, that somebody's come along and made up. It's just stuff that's been totally, totally suppressed by the, the, the media that is largely controlled through these very same organizations, either directly or indirectly. So, you know, now you've got the, the smoking gun here where Rockefeller and the German company IG Farben, which was the driving force behind Adolf Hitler, they were the driving force behind the Holocaust victims. They were, they were the ones that made the Zyklon B nerve gas. You've got them now totally linked up with one another. And then drug profits from that time on, when they, when they came together, drug pharmaceutical profits from that time on, curved upwards into gigantic proportions, and by 1948 it was a $10 billion a year industry. Okay, so again, I mean, this is not a good foundation that we're dealing with here. I mean, talk about erring on the side of safety and fleeing all appearance of evil. I mean, this is, you know, they're... This is just unbelievable, this information. And then we go further. I.G. Farben's unsavory past is highlighted by the fact that during the Second World War, it built and operated a massive chemical plant at Auschwitz using slave labor. Approximately 300,000 concentration camp workers passed through the I.G. Farben uh, facilities at Auschwitz. Uh, at least 25,000 of them were worked to death, and, and you know, countless more were, were either you know, killed in experiments or the other things that we've mentioned. Others were also brutally killed in IG Farben's drug testing programs. Hoist and Bear, as in Bear Aspirin, the largest and third largest companies in the world, pharmaceutical sales respectively, are descended from IG Farben, as we've already saw. In September of 1955, Hoist appointed Friedrich Janier, a convicted war criminal from the Nuremberg trials. Remember, all 24 of them got released. They, they appointed him as chairman of their supervisory board. Also a year later, Bear appointed Fritz Timir, we've mentioned him, another convicted war criminal, as chairman of the board. Uh, that was from an uh, article entitled, How the Chemical Companies Came to Control the Media and the People. Now, uh, this next thing is a, from Dr. Mercola, he's an MD, and, um, a lot of this stuff that I'm getting today is directly from MDs. Okay, you would think that they would be trying to, but there are some good MDs out there that have tried to expose this, like Dr. Rath. Um, Dr. Mercola's done a very good job at this. Uh, there, there's a lot of other, and really, if, if me being a chiropractor is quoting an MD, you can't say that, you know, I'm quoting what an MD is pointing out and what an MD is documented. They're, they're ones that actually were trained in this particular profession. You know, I'm not the one uh, giving you this information. Really, they are. So in that way, I believe it has a lot more credibility as well. Uh, this article was from Dr. Mercola, and it's entitled, Why You'll Want to Avoid Bear Products, like bear aspirin. Okay, we've already seen why you want to avoid them, but let's let's go down that rabbit trail a little further. The Bear Corporation is widely known for their painkillers, aspirin, and Aleve, Aleve the the medicine. But they also manufacture 80 other brands of drugs along with chemicals and pesticides. I've revealed some of the many skeletons in their closet in the past, including their numerous drug-related lawsuits and their intentional selling of AIDS-infected drugs in Europe and Asia. Yeah, you heard that right. Now, I, I did a uh, uh, email health newsletter at one point where we covered this in detail and you could actually, I mean, they were doing interviews here in America and, and even the reporters were, were just totally blown away by the fact that Bayer was selling AIDS-infected drugs in Europe and Asia. 
This company has killed children by giving them HIV-infected drugs, um, which put their workers and then put their workers' lives in danger by exposing them to toxic chemicals that cause organ damage and continues to produce unsafe products. The U.S. pharmaceutical industry that exists today is a direct extension of the Nazi Germany pharmaceutical industry where prisoners were routinely used for medical experiments, medical ethics were grossly violated, and human beings were considered resources for medical experiments testing new synthetic chemicals later to become called prescription drugs. Now, this is the, theoretically speaking, this is the third witness we've got. We have Dr. Rath, we have the second article um, that I've been quoting from, uh, which is entitled Farben, IG Farben is a major player in the world corruption, and now we've got Dr. Mercola. Okay, two of them are MDs, and a lot of these other sources are other sources, so we've got our third witness here, and we're going to have much more than that. And then it go, he goes on to say, Dr. Mercola, about Bayer's involvement in these medical experiments. A former Auschwitz prisoner testified on record, and we've already read this quote. There was a large ward of tuberculars on Block 20. The Bayer Corporation sent medications in unmarked and unnamed ampules. The tuberculars were injected with this. These unfortunate people were killed in, were never killed in the gas chambers. One only had to wait for them to die, uh, from the, from the injections that uh, Bear sent, okay, which did not take long. 150 Jewish women that had been brought from the camp, attended by Bear, served for experiments with unknown hormonal preparations. Uh, going further, it says, even a quick search of the ingredients in their Flintstones vitamins for children show that they contain, now, they make Flintstones vitamins, and I'll get that a lot, you know, yes, we're we're taking Centrum or one a day, or, or our children are taking Flintstones. Well, you're poisoning yourself, essentially, okay? Um, you're, you're, you're essentially taking in a whole bunch of synthetic compounds into your body, and the very people that that are responsible for all these these deaths are the ones that are still making these types of products. You have to understand this. Uh, the Flintstone vitamins for children show that they contain the following substances. Artificial flavors, three different types of food dye. Now, these uh, these types of things have been proven to have all kind of, of, of adverse effects, particularly in children, hyperactivity, uh, attention deficit disorder, these types of things. Glucose syrup... Um, which, you know, breaks down very quickly in the bloodstream. Uh, it, it, it causes blood sugar spikes, can affect behavior patterns. And then gelatin and modified starch, which will both typically contain MSG or monosodium glutamate, which is a neurotoxin or an excitotoxin in the brain, um, which has its own laundry list of side effects. And then the other neurotoxin, asperitine, which we're going to be talking a little bit more about later, which is NutraSweet. Uh, and then hydrogenated oils. Again, I could do a whole sermon on, or a whole teaching on each one of these things, but we just don't have time to get into it all. And then he goes on to say, but, but, but the deeper take home message here is that the, that these moral assaults and health harming practices are not unique to bear, to bear, the company of bear. They plague almost every pharmaceutical company. So again, that's something that's good to bear in mind. Now, again, if there's a certain spirit, and I mean that literally, that pervades this particular industry, it's not just going to affect bear, aspirin. It's going to affect the whole industry because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. There is simply no mistake in this fact. The drug companies are interested in making profits and their interests often transcend even the most basic ethereal and human safety guidelines. Here's their documentation. Bear cells, AIDS-infested, infected, 
really infested or infected drug banned in Europe and Asia. Now, this was in the New York Times, May twenty second, two 2003. New York Times. So a lot of times, yes, you will get a blip on the radar screen and then it's gone. So you have to understand that this isn't going to be something, it should have been, you know, nightly news lead story. No, no, no. It's, you know, one story and that's it. That's all you're going to get if you get that. This article goes on by saying, recently... Unearthed documents show that the drug company Bayer sold millions of dollars worth of an injectable blood clotting medicine, Factor 8 concentrate, intended for hemophiliacs to Asian, Latin American, and some European countries in the mid-1980s, although they knew, they knew it was tainted with AIDS. The company stopped selling the drug in the United States in 1984, but continued to sell it overseas for an additional year. How sick and demented is that. The medicine was made using combined plasma from a large number of donors. At the time, there was no screening test for the AIDS virus, so a tiny number of donors with AIDS could inadvertently contaminate a large batch. It's like the whole, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump thing. Records show that the company continued to sell the medicine overseas in an attempt to avoid being left with a large stock of a drug that was no longer marketable in the United States. Well, you know, at least their heart was in the right place. I mean, you know, they just didn't want to lose money and and they didn't want their stockholders to lose money. So, hey, let's infect a whole bunch of people with AIDS. You know, I guess that was their solution. The, The dangers of the drug had become well known domestically, but the news was slower to reach other parts of the world. However, Bayer also continued to manufacture the medicine for several months after pulling it from the market in the United States because it was cheaper to produce than the new, safer product they were introducing as a replacement. Oh, again, you know, they're just wonderful ethics they're observing here. Although worldwide numbers are difficult to calculate, in Hong Kong and Taiwan alone, more than 100 hemophiliacs contracted HIV after using the medicine, and most have died. Now, could you imagine if anybody, let's say, in the in the whole food vitamin industry or one of these, if they did something like this, I mean, they would have come down on them with SWAT teams uh, at at the very first hint of anything going on like this. But because the international drug cartels and companies like this have so much power and are the ones that essentially are connected with the very, very top of the globalist elite, they get a free ride. They, they don't even hardly get as so much as a slap on the hand. I mean, shouldn't have people have went to jail for this? I mean, this is, this is unconscionable, but no, you know, it just was in and out and, and, and nothing came of it as far as I know. FDA regulators helped to keep the continued sales hidden. FDA, because the FDA is integrally related and in, in, in cahoots with the pharmaceutical industry. They're asking, uh, the FDA is asking the company that, uh, let me just read this again. FDA regulators helped to keep the continued sales hidden, asking the company that the problem be quietly solved without alerting the Congress, the medical community, and the public, according to the minutes of the 1985 meeting. So again, this is what um, the FDA regulators said, uh, that they wanted the, the problem to be quietly solved without alerting the Congress, the medical community, and the public. Now, there there is just as much to blame as, as Bear is, because they're trying to keep the whole thing quiet. And that just goes to show you how bought and paid for the FDA is. Okay, so, you know, it's that's just one example. 
You know, you could go, go give example after example after example. That's just one. Yes, it's a doozy, but just one. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end part one there, and we're going to go to the, I believe, the final part here and conclude the study next.